So I, just before we, we have some people come down and share, I just want to lay a little bit of the groundwork for the importance of today. I, I think, you know, if you're like me, and, and maybe, maybe you, you, you've been coming to church in the city for a while, and we kind of get the muscle of coming to church working, if you know what I mean. And what I mean by that is we come in, and I know that we're going to start off with about 30 to 35 minutes of worship songs. Today we only did three, but usually we'll do four. You guys ever pick up on that? And you kind of get the muscle working, and, it's, and you, you sort of step in to what's going on. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But you maybe, maybe the muscle of pressing into God and really listening to him in, in, in worship, maybe that's a muscle that you've developed a lot. Maybe once we have a couple of announcements and we transition to the preaching of the word, maybe that muscle is pretty developed in you as well. And when Steve or myself or one of the other elders is up here preaching and you've you're got your Bible open and you're tracking along and your ears and your heart are attentive to the Lord. And maybe that muscle is pretty developed. But I want to challenge us today that the sharing of testimony from, within a local church family is a vital part of hearing God and experiencing the life of God together. It's why we call ourselves a family. It's why one of the core values of this church is the value of family. And the sharing of what God is doing is so crucial to the encouragement of our hearts. And this isn't like an infomercial where, you know, have you ever been up too late one night and you're scrolling through the channels and they have some amazing product or some amazing, you know, real estate formula or something? And then what do they say at the bottom of the screen? They always say, results not typical. Results not typical. And so it's like this, somebody's selling you something and telling you about their experience, and then you're like, yeah, but if I do that, I'm in the results not typical category. Sharing of testimony is not that. Sharing of testimony is someone in the family of God declaring the goodness of God, what he has done to other people on whom God has lavished the fullness of his riches in Christ Jesus. So guess what? Results typical. Results typical. In John chapter 9 is one of my favorite, favorite accounts of all of Scripture. I know you're not supposed to have favorite parts of Scripture, especially if you're an elder, but guess what? I do. And it's the part of, of, of the Gospel of John where Jesus heals a blind man, a man who was born blind. And the chapter starts off with this sort of theological argument between the teachers of the law asking Jesus, was this man a sinner or was his parents a sinner so that he was born blind? And Jesus cuts right to the chase and heals the man. And the man gets dragged before the religious leaders of the day. And they begin to question him and kind of poke him and prod him. And everybody says, was this the man that was, that was blind? Didn't he used to beg? And some say, no, 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 it can't be him. And others say, oh yeah, it's him. And the man just says, listen, I was blind, Jesus healed me, and now I can see. And isn't that the essence of testimony? Here is what I'm trusting for, here is my circumstance, here is what is going on. Jesus has moved, and I'm sharing. And it does some very key things. I know you guys are looking at me like, you promised us no sermon, James. But, <laughs> but testimony does a couple of key things. First of all, it brings attention and fame to the name of Jesus. It brings attention and fame to the name 
of Jesus. And it forces, in a good way, it encourages and draws up a response. And some people, like the religious leaders of the day with, who were poking and prodding that blind man, will respond with rejection. Some will. And others will say, wow, I believe. But it focuses attention and fame on the name of Jesus. Secondly, it wells up something very important in the hearts of the hearers of the testimony, and that's gratitude. It wells up gratitude. And as Nancy shared as we were singing, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. That doesn't just say, be thankful. That says, you want to move into the presence of the Lord. Thanksgiving is the key to the door. And testimony wells up gratitude. Who among us can share what God has done in our life without just feeling giddy thankful inside? You can't. You can't. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. That's the other thing testimony does. It wells up worship. It wells up worship amongst us. And then lastly, and I want to have Sheetal come up and share something that, 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 she was, um, that she was receiving in our time of worship. Testimony stirs faith. Testimony stirs our faith. Not in a formulaic way, like insert testimony, faith rises. In a family way. In a family way. Because you know what? You're going to meet some people today who are sharing. And I got to tell you what. I picked ordinary people. I hate to break it to you. They're not spiritual superstars. None of us are. But they're, they're going to share something that I'm going to trust, and I hope you trust as well, will raise faith and stir faith and give us an expectation of how God can move. Sheetal, why don't you share what you were... Uh, I forget, I'm not holding this microphone today. Worship, I just had a picture of um, Moses when he was standing in battle against, the, the, against Amalek, and Aaron and her were holding up his arms. So Exodus 17 says, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses... Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And I just felt that today these testimonies are going to be like Aaron and her holding up the hands of Moses. That there are those of us who might be wary from contending for things that God has spoken over us, maybe wary from the battle of faith. But these testimonies are not to be glossed over and just listened to as nice stories. That God really wants to use these to strengthen us in the battle. Just like Aaron and her held up the arms of Moses so that the battle could be won. God wants to use the faith that these testimonies bring to stir us in our battles, in our faith journeys, to remind us of his goodness and the fact that we're fighting from a place of victory. So I just encourage you as you're listening to these testimonies to allow them to sink into your heart and use them as weapons. Use them as Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses so that you can contend in your journeys and see victory. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, listening to a testimony is not a spectator sport. And so I want to encourage you and, 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 and to be as open as I, I can right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, we're going to, if there's a moment for ministry, if someone shares something and God is clearly doing something, we're going to take that moment and we're going to pray. And we're going to stand in faith for people for whom that testimony is impactful and are trusting for the same thing. 
Ministry doesn't just happen with a ministry team at the end of a time. We're going to be listening right now in the moment for God to move, as Sheetal was saying. So I just want to encourage you, open your hearts. As you can tell, I'm pretty excited. And uh, I want to first off invite Stephen and Michelle Weinrich to come on up. If you guys don't know this couple, you need to get to know them. Yeah, you can give them a hand. This is... This is the essence of family time, uh, to hear from each other. So we can applaud and you can heckle them and I'm just kidding. You can heckle me. But uh, why don't you guys share a little bit about uh, what's on your heart to, to give glory to God for in testimony. Sure. Thanks, James. Uh, so for those of you that don't know us, my name is Steve. This is my lovely wife, Michelle. Um, we moved to Chicago almost three years ago. Um, James asked us to share on the first Thanksgiving uh, that we were at church in the city, and this is now two years later. So a lot has happened in two years. Um, To be honest, it's been a really tough two years for us. Going to get a little bit vulnerable here. Um, Everyone's our church family, so we're okay with that. Um, We've been trying to uh, start a family for two years. Um, Unfortunately, God has not blessed us in that area yet. Um, but he has blessed us in many other areas. So I guess what I've always known on my heart is that um, God knows what's on your heart, and he wants the best for you. So, but it happens in his timing, right? So you need to, you need to understand that and, and just wait for that, but also to recognize when God is moving in your life. Um, and I already believe, and I recently learned that it's actually... <laughs> scripture in Isaiah, um, I can't remember the verse, but when God moves, he moves swiftly and with purpose, and you'll know that it's God. Um, so just very um, short testimony to that. Um, some people might think it's a coincidence. I really believe it's a God incidence that um, I'll try to go in the order of events that happen. So I got a new project at a client at 600 West Chicago, um, then our fertility clinic is at 600 West Chicago, and we get our green cards, and Michelle gets a job at 600 West Chicago. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing, considering that we came from a really small um, town on the east coast of South Africa to this one very specific place in Chicago for these three things. Um, I can't help but you know, believe that that is for a reason, and that is God. So God speaks to us that way by telling us, you know, through what he has, that you're meant to be here, hang in here, and just wait for my timing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just to add um, some extra little stories into that bigger testimony. Um, So this, this year in particular has just been a very dry year in terms of not nothing changing um, in our circumstances um, in, in many areas. Um, Another one of which was my job. Um, I wasn't very happy in my job. And I'd felt for some time that the doors were closing, but just wasn't very sure what God was doing. And I honestly didn't actually know where, where the next step was. Um, and God moved quite amazingly in that a job basically fell into my lap. Um, it was something that I wasn't qualified for. I didn't have the specific skill set required for the job. Um, I was offered the job anyway. I had to turn it down because our green cards hadn't come through yet. So I couldn't leave my current job. Um, This job then 
told me that they knew someone in the Illinois governor's office that could help expedite our green cards. Um, and so I was like, okay, God. Um, and yeah, the, through this person and, and just God's favor, our green cards were expedited and <clears throat> I was then able to resign and, and start this job. Um, I didn't, it's also God, God knows you so well and um, he knows how we process things and um, I was just in awe of how he moved in that situation because when I was very miserable, I, I was still not ready. I'd been with my company for eight years. It was a big decision. I couldn't imagine leaving. I felt a lot of loyalty. And um, this job came around in May, um, and they actually waited for me for three months um, until our green cards came through in August. And when the green cards came through, they, they still had the job waiting for me. Um, and it's amazing. Just I, I needed those three months mentally to prepare and, and sort of let go of my, of my job and, and, and be ready and prepared for, for the new job. Um, and, and I was scared as well because, especially with try, going through fertility treatments at the same time as all this happening, like it seemed wrong initially. Like, God, should I really be moving jobs when we're trying to start a family and then I'm in a new job with a baby and, you know, wouldn't it be easier where I've got eight years behind me, I've built up a lot of credibility in my previous company, they're likely to be more lenient and I'm trying to rationalize all of this and why, why, you know, God, why it's probably not a good idea. And I just felt God say, just trust me, um, just take this leap of faith, even though I didn't even know what to expect from this job. Um, I really was walking into the unknown and just a small confirmation of um, the fact that God has placed me strategically where he has placed me. Um, the team that I support is based in Bentonville, Arkansas, of all places, and so I travel down there relatively often, and the lead of that team, him and I got to know each other, and it turns out that he's a born-again Christian and loves the Lord, and it's just been incredible to work with him because he sends me encouraging verses before important meetings, and um, him and I had a conversation where he said, yes, you know, I, I work for Mars Wrigley, so we make like M&Ms and candy and stuff, it's pretty cool. But I was kind of like, God, really? You like want me to work at a candy company? Like, isn't that, isn't that like not? <laughs> how am I changing the world? How am I helping? You know, do your will. And um, <laughs> aside from bringing caramel M and M's to the church when they get released, um, and and I was just kind of laughing to myself when I met this lead, uh, team lead because he said to me, he was like, Yeah, you know, Michelle, our, our day jobs are to sell candy and make the Mars family even more wealthy than they already are. But our real job is to impact the people around us and to change the lives of the people around us. And, you know, I felt like I've almost been placed into an army because there are a number of Christians on this team and I've never worked in that kind of environment before. Um, so that has, has been um, really, really awesome. And another just quick testimony was... I was very, very scared to resign. I felt a lot of loyalty. I've been with my company for eight years, and I actually came up and asked for prayer the day before I was resigning, and um, Ken prayed for me, and he had a picture um, that he saw me resigning to two people, and I don't think I told him that I had to resign to two people, but that was actually what happened, and that in, in his um, vision that I, I was thinking to myself, I can't believe how well this is going, and that God was doing the talking, um, and I was very, very anxious, especially because I was resigning the day after receiving my green card, which obviously did not look very good. Um, so I was very anxious about how they were going to receive that. And, um, and 
that was exactly what happened. I, I said my piece to my bosses and they reacted with delight that I'm so happy for you. What a wonderful opportunity. We're going to miss you, but we wish you all nothing but the best. The door is always open. I couldn't have gone any better. And I thought to myself, I can't believe how well this is going. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's what Ken said. So um, yeah, just um, in amongst, I, those are just two small stories of God's faithfulness to us um, in amongst this difficult season. Um, and it, it, it does just encourage me, like God never leaves you in a dry season. Um, he never leaves you without some kind of encouragement, without some kind of support. He places people in your life. Um, he sends words to you. He speaks to you in different ways that just because you're not seeing victory in one area doesn't mean that there isn't victory in other areas. Um, so can I speak for like another Okay. <laughs> I'm like conscious of not running out of time. Um, so I just, I feel like this fertility journey has been so um, all-encompassing at times that it's the only thing that you can focus on. Um, and God has really just shown me that um, someone I follow called Christine Kane had um, done a sermon where there was, she put a, up on the big screen a white, a white screen with a black dot. And she was like, what do you see? And everyone said, I see a black dot. And she was saying how that's our human nature is to hone in on what's wrong. Okay, maybe it's a survival instinct. You're always focusing on the problem, what needs to be fixed. Um, but actually, there's far more white space on that picture than a black dot, that that takes up a lot more. Something very simple, but it's just stuck with me because now um, I realize that I can choose my thoughts. I can choose what I, what I dwell on, what I focus on. And I could choose to focus on, God, you haven't answered this prayer. Um, and, you know, year after year, you're, you're not opening this door. You're not answering this prayer, and I don't understand why. Or I could choose to focus on the white space that God has opened so many other doors. He's been faithful to us in so many other areas, in every other area. Um, he's answered every prayer. Um, just with, after that dry season, in the space of three weeks, Steve got a promotion. Our green cards arrived. I got this new job. We sold our house in South Africa when the estate agent said that the market's terrible. There's way too much supply. No one's able to sell their homes. And she just said to me, this is, you know, this is a miracle that your home sold so easily. And just, that, was, that was just God's graciousness. Um, and so really just focusing on the fact that he is faithful. He has been faithful in every other area. And it's so encouraging to know he, he, he's aware of our situation. He's answering our prayers. And if he's not answering this prayer... There's a specific reason for it. It's because he has his timing and his timing isn't always our timing. And that's been my biggest struggle um, to release and surrender is to really actually give up our timing um, and, and trust in his. Um, and I think it's easy as well to almost not manipulate God, but kind of, I think I put him in a box as well, especially when Steve's job and my job both moved to the same building as our fertility clinic. I thought, okay, well, I've figured it all out now. It's going to happen through IVF. And um, we were meant to move to IVF at the same time that my job changed, which means insurance changed and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. And it just didn't seem like the right time. But I was so fixated on, but it has to be, God, because 
you moved us to this place, so this is obviously how you're going to work, and it hasn't happened naturally in two years, so I'd basically lost faith that it could happen naturally. Um, and just also feeling like God saying, don't limit me, you know, just because there is that amazing coincidence, that doesn't mean that now that's how he has to work. Um, it also doesn't mean that that he can't work supernaturally. And, and I think I really had started to put my faith in medicine and not in God. Um, and, it, and, it, and it took, it was a very difficult decision for us to decide to take a step back and just take the rest of this year off and just wait on God and, and rest in him um, and truly surrender instead of holding on to our plans and our timing. Um, so that, that's, that's what we've been doing this year and, and God really has been sustaining us and encouraging us. So yeah, he, he is faithful and we're excited and expectant um, that one of these days we'll be standing up here again with another testimony. Um, I just, this is already the best sermon I've ever preached. Um, I, I just want to respond. Uh, if you're trusting for the Lord's timing, you're trusting for the Lord's timing. Big things or things that you might think other people might think are little, but they're big to you. I just want to invite you to stand. I just want to pray for you. You're trusting for the Lord's timing. Just stand. Yeah. Lord, you are faithful. Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now, even now, Lord, across this room, as much as there has been faith for, uh, for the thing or the person or what you will do, I pray, Lord, for faith to rise now for your timing. Just pray, Lord, for the closeness Holy Spirit, would you just come and be close right now? Would you just remind hearts across this room right now, Lord, that you are not far, that you are not distant. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us near to you. And I pray, Lord, for the hearts that are contending for so much. Some things that they just, that they even tremble to say. I just pray, Lord, for a fresh revelation right now in Jesus' name of your closeness and your timing that you have them, God. And that when it is time, you will move suddenly and there will be rejoicing. And that the promises of God are fresh. They are not stale. They don't expire. Just pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let your goodness wash down over us. Wash down over hearts and just remind where there's been where there's been struggle, may you put fresh patience, not just to endure, but to thrive with you in waiting for your timing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Steve, Michelle, guys, thank you so much for sharing. I want to invite uh, Brianna Palmore to come down.
I'm not sure I'm actually going to make it through today, but uh, I have this condition. I drink too much water. It comes out my eyes. Bree is just an awesome, awesome girl. She graduated from the School of the Art Institute. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, uh, she's a writer, so she has elected actually to read uh, a testimony to you guys. And, and again, I just want to, what? Yeah. No. She emailed me back when I asked her to share. She was like, in front of people, like, like, like human people? I was like, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're two peas in a pod because I like to be in front of people speaking and she likes to, well, she's, no. she's, ter- this is the dentist chair for you right now. No. So would you guys open your heart to Brie and just, uh, you know, open your heart to what she has to share? Go for it. Hey, guys. Ooh. All right, I'm just going to go, okay? Uh, one, one quick thing. This is an older testimony. It's about seven years old. But the good thing about God's gifts is they keep. <laughs> All right. Go okay. count. This is the worst sermon I've ever preached. (laughs) All right. When I was growing up, the exterior I portrayed was a different reality than my interior life. Exteriorly, I was the quiet girl who excelled academically, was involved, was a teacher favorite, and liked by my peers. Interiorly, I experienced severe um, symptoms of depression from 13 on, was bored with school, extremely disconnected from others. I was incredibly apathetic and would fake sick and isolate myself in my room for weeks at a time. My heart often felt restless and alone, and it drove me to cope with ways to escape reality, to escape further within myself. When I turned 16, I found a new coping mechanism for the pain I felt driving recklessly. I would uh, run stop signs out in the country, going up to 120 mile an hour. I knew it was stupid and thoughtless. I could have easily gotten myself killed, totaled my parents' car, or hurt someone else. But I didn't care. It was my catharsis. It made me feel powerful. It was something that didn't hurt, and I chased after it every day like a drug. May 7th of my junior year, while driving my little brother and sister home from school, I ran a stop sign, thinking that the way was clear. I slammed into an eastbound pickup truck going about 60. I was a culpable driver. Caught up in myself, I hadn't seen the danger. At the impact, it was as if the chasm of the delusions I'd been drowning in shattered. Everything shattered and exploded. The instant of that impact, everything blew wide. Instinct, intuition, reality itself. Suddenly, my inner life connected and collided with the world around me as it never had before. I was encountering in a deeper way my relationship to reality while at the same time encountering the most horrifying part of my true self that I was a sinner. I knew in my beating heart, in my bones, that I had violated something. I saw in a few moments how intimately life is connected, how our actions affect and respond to others, and saw the terrible devastation my own mistake could cause. The moment I stepped out of the car as the realization and guilt descended, there was a second where everything in me wanted to run. I looked away from the carnage, turned away from the others who were injured, and really considered fleeing. It was impossible. We were in an empty cornfield and broken my ankle, but I couldn't handle what had happened. I was terrified to face the others, even as I began to hear them cry out. Indescribably, the, the clearing electrified, as if every molecule around us froze, brilliant, gleaming, and burning. I heard no voice. 
I simply felt a presence, felt accompanied. It was and is the closest communion I've ever felt with anyone else. It was as if I were bonded immediately to this presence, to God, my violating self that so desperately wanted to be innocent, that wanted to be good, would have drowned in the fear and guilt, but instead I felt the strength of this withness. I felt known every inch of my soul and yet kept. This weight of his presence ground me back into the field and I went running toward my siblings and the other three victims. With him, I was able to face them, to face their wounds, to face the reality of the exterior world again. Fleeing wasn't an option anymore. Prayer came quicker than breath. As I tried to help the others um, breathe and tried to stop their bleeding to get them help, I kept going because I knew I wasn't alone. A line from the heart of God had descended into my ruins, and I flung all my hope and all my hope that there was hope to have onto it. With this anchor, I got through the next few hours. We were all taken to surrounding hospitals. Each minute of that night seemed to go on forever. My parents arrived, pale and terrified. As the shock wore off, I found myself trying to ignore what was happening. But God, in his wisdom, provided pathways back to reality through others. I thought my parents would come in horrified. Um, instead, they ran into the room, embraced me. And uh, while we waited to see if my brother and sister would make it until morning, they washed the dirt off my feet. <laughs> like Peter, at the Last Supper, I could only receive and look into their faces of love. I didn't sleep. I remember God's presence remaining with me through the night. I waited with him in the shadows, the grandfather clock chiming every quarter hour as it passed. I wasn't able to verbalize prayer, but simply let him be there. I'd never before felt the potency of his presence in such a moment, knowing I had dragged him into the dark with me, knowing he wouldn't abandon me there. In the morning, I read the online articles about the accident. I read the words typed out in cold text. There was an accident involving six. Jacqueline Park, 16 years old, was struck by a southbound vehicle driven by Brianna Palmer. Jacqueline was pronounced dead at 6.10 p.m. A 16-year-old girl was dead. Um, a girl that I'd known since kindergarten who had the locker next to mine our whole lives. A girl I joked around the day before in class was gone. I'd been fatally wounded as a direct effect of my action. And there I was alive, wishing I was dead. Never in my life did I see so clearly how much um, I needed mercy. And never in my life did I want it less. My sin was before me, like David wrote in Psalm 51. It was all I saw, in some ways, all I wanted to see. It took time, and eventually, as I sought desperately for condemnation, mercy after mercy was given. Where I wanted to be hated, on all sides, people kept forgiving me, <laughs> loved and blessed me. It was too much. All the good things felt like torture. It nearly drove me to um, complete despair, re-acknowledging every morning what had happened, receiving the grace given, from my parents, from my family, my community, from strangers who heard about the story. At the funeral, as students from our school passed by her coffin on the way out the door, hundreds of them stopped by my seat and hugged me or laid a hand on my um, shoulder. I didn't want his love, but it was inescapable around every corner. Um, I continued to try to deny the love that was offered for a few months, hiding in the self-hatred, but eventually logic uh, cornered me. It was the virility of the truth of the tie that I'd felt to God in that moment. I was bound. I couldn't ignore the world, and I couldn't ignore God. To recognize the reality of the loss of life that occurred because of my selfishness for what it was required gazing at the cross. 
I had tried to avoid this for a long time, but the world of self-hatred and despair is actually an absurd one. The self-interest becomes fairly visible and detestable. I wanted to truly negate myself. What I really wanted was to love, and to love was to see what was for what it was. Looking at the cross, I saw that justice was there, and I was a sinner. And mercy, too. Inevitably, I was condemned in Christ's justice and made innocent in his mercy in one stroke. In his sacrifice for all sinners, to accept honestly my guilt, I had to accept honestly my innocence in him. To deny that gift of mercy would be denying the cross and so denying all truth and meaning and order. He parried the deep chasm of my wrong with the abyss of his mercy. I didn't have a chance. Thank God that we don't have a chance against his mercy. As soon as I allowed Christ in, he entered there into the wound of what had happened. By his grace, genuine, free joy began to permeate my hurting heart and mind. He began to show me the power of the paradox of his cross, of his reign over that darkness in my life. This May marked seven years since it happened, and the suffering from that night isn't over. Jacqueline's family will grieve her absence for the rest of their time on earth, and so will I. The effects of it continue as well. It changed that community. Um, It changed the families and the victims involved, and certainly continue to shape me and my family. As I grow, as I live one more day that Jacqueline will not, I understand more of the wrong I caused. I see one more facet of how terribly I've wounded others and wounded God. But I also understand more of the beauty of his love for me in that moment. The grace of his providence in the days and months that followed. I see him building something beautiful from something broken. His love abounds further than any wrong or lack I could have caused. A story that I thought I'd have to keep secret to survive actually has become something that I share to glorify God. Knowing it can encourage others to offer their wounds and broken paths to him. It's all in Psalm 51, a psalm that King David wrote after his own prolific tragedy. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you are my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness, and sinners will turn back to you. So it goes, and so it continues with every wound, sin, failing, and weakness. He loved us when we were still sinners. He loves us even when we wound him, even as we wound him. He loves us through it, begins to restore and rebuild our lives through the violations we and others cause. He uses our weaknesses to confound the strength of our own pride and selfishness. And I know that he will do this abundantly for any heart willing to welcome his good work into their ruins. But this is an action that he's not going to force. An action I hope I've encouraged some of you in by sharing this story. As Christians, nothing we have is ours anymore. Not our guilt, our pain, our past. He's paid for it all, and it's his. It's our part to trust Jesus, to offer our poverty, all of our depravity, so he can use it in all kinds of crazy and ludicrous ways. He's a preposterous person, Jesus Christ. He delights bearing his light into our darknesses. I think his light burns brighter there. His joy will abound anywhere in our hearts we give him permission to go. And I believe there is no rejoicing like the rejoicing of the hearts that have been crushed under the weight of his love. Thank you. He's a preposterous person, that Jesus Christ. And thank goodness that we can't escape his mercy. Awesome.
Thank you so much for sharing that, Bree, and, and thanks for the reminder of the times in our own life that there's never a testimony that's stale or too old, but I'm just reminded of the times in my own life, as Bree shares in hers, when God gripped me and uh, has ceased to let me slip away from him. We celebrate that. Dave Foster, come on up. Dave is wearing his Groundbreakers shirt today because he's pulling double duty. Signing kids in, sharing testimonies, all a day in the life. Yeah, his wife, uh, Dave and his wife, Aaron, and their family, uh, I'll I'll let him share more, but uh, they have started a ministry and and oversee called Carpe Ventus, and Aaron Foster is is downstairs in uh, Groundbreakers, so she would be here sharing with Dave, but Dave, why don't you share a little about what God has been doing through through you guys' ministry? Thanks a lot. Well, my uh, life actually started on the Great Lakes of, um, on the shores of the Great Lakes in upper Michigan. And actually the vision or the seed of the vision for Carpe Ventus started um, up in the same place at a camp back in 2012. And here we are four years later, uh, we've finished our first full season and it's just been amazing to see what God has done through um, as, a, as kind of a product. But I'm going to talk more about the, the faith journey that God took us through um, you know, to get us to, to this place. So, for those of you who don't know, the mission of Carpe Ventus is uh, to strengthen mentorship through sailing, kiteboarding, and windsurfing. And it's really about building these redemptive relationships, um, these mentoring relationships with kids that often come from under-resourced backgrounds and have a lot of obstacles to overcome to really thrive. <clears throat> so we do that in the, in, in the context of recreation and um, and what we call life-giving risk, because uh, we believe it's, they're risks, they're scary sometimes, but it's worth, it's actually worth taking. So uh, back in 2012, when I got this vision, I was actually sitting in, a, in an all-day meeting, and I knew that it was an ideal windsurfing day, which it wasn't very often in the, in the summer there, and I was just like, something was dying inside, and I was like, this is sad. <laughs> so I started thinking about, you know, this desire to seize the wind when it's just right, and I was kind of playing around with it, you know, carpe diem is seize the day, and then wonder what the Latin word is for ventus, and, you know, I kind of came up with this logo. I was like, other people can identify with this. I know there are kiters and ice boaters and people that love to ride the wind, and so, so I, I, that's where it started, and I just kind of put it on the back burner for a while, though, because uh, we were getting ready to add another um, child to our family. We already had two small kids, and then we moved, and so we're moving with three small kids, and, and life was just a little crazy at that time. Um, but then I started to get these prophetic dreams. I ended up having multiple prophetic dreams that I felt like were related to it. So one of them was, I was back at that camp um, where it kind of all started, and there was this, in the dream, I was in this field, and there was this, like, ball of energy, kind of like one of those screensavers with the different colors of light coming out of it. And it was, it was scary. Like, everybody was scared to go near it. And for some reason, you know, weird things make sense in, the, in a dream. I went over and I grabbed it, um, even though I was scared, and it was fine. I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then I had a few months later, I had this other dream where I, there was a ton of wind on the water and I wanted to go kiteboarding and um, I was afraid to do it, but finally I just went for it and, and that was really fun. It was totally fine. It wasn't scary at all when I got out there. So I started to notice this theme of like overcoming these risks or taking these risks and it was life-giving on the other end. Um, I had one or two more dreams that are related to that and I got some prophetic words as well. Uh, through prayer, and so I started to feel like it would be disobeying not to move forward with this at some point, 
um, one of those prophetic words was um, just take the next step. You know, and I, I kept thinking like it's all or nothing. Either I'm going to do all of this and go for it, or I'm going to just kind of leave it on the back burner. So I just started taking little steps, like what I could do with three small kids and other things going on in life, and um, and that was that was great. That was life giving to do that as well. Um, and another one, actually, Steve one morning just kind of started up here with the message, and he said. Um, Dave, I have a prophetic word for you. I think that God wants to remove some of the safety things off of your life. I have this vision of a bowling alley and, you know, those bumpers that you can put into the, the um, you know, the, the gutters so that the ball can't go in there, just kind of taking those off. Um, you used to pray that for us. And I really felt like that was about finances. Um, it's probably about some other things too, but, um, you know, I, I like to have buffers for my buffers because I like to be able to have, like, you know, this amount of money you're set aside and ready in case. And, and I think there's, there is stewardship, there is responsibility that's a good thing, but it feels like God's taken us on this journey where it was like, there, sometimes there's almost no margin, you know, and it's really sobering with small kids. It can, things can, you know, cost a lot fast. So, um, so that's been a part of this life-giving journey, uh, you know, life-giving risk that we've been taking along this journey. So, um, so we, I felt like in praying and listening to God, um, he kind of gave me a time when to transition to doing Carpe Ventus full-time. We had developed it a long way since where it started, and we, you know, we'd involved in this whole mentoring aspect of it um, and gotten things kind of refined somewhat and felt like it was ready to move forward. And, and so we took this step, and then it felt like the bottom dropped out. It was like only 30% of the funding that I thought was going to be coming in was actually coming in, and you know, work sort of scrambling. Aaron and I are working extra side jobs, just trying to make it work. And we started, we totally redid our resumes, you know, updated those, started sending them out. And we started to kind of get a little bit of job offer activity coming back. And, um, you know, just kind of in, it, it wasn't out of a place of prayer. And all of a sudden we realized, like, maybe we should ask God about this. Maybe we should slow down and just, God, what do you want us to do? You know, is this the right thing? Because if we start taking these other things, we're not going to be able to focus on this. It's going to be back on the back burner. Um, and so we felt like he said, go for it. Just stay this course. Like, this I will provide. Um, so that started this crazy season. Um, and in the beginning, it was like I could see there's like a $1,400 gap between what's coming in and what it's going to cost, spending like nothing we don't absolutely have to, and if everything goes right, you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was month by month. We're looking at this every month. Like, these bills keep coming. And... Um, but God provided in amazing ways. I mean, just unusual things like this person offered to donate a boat to Carpe Ventus, but it was too small. It wasn't the right kind of boat. Um, it was over by where my mom it was, a kind of a friend of my mom's, and they said, "Well, you can just sell the boat. I don't want to deal with it. You can take the money or whatever." So she sold the boat for four hundred dollars and gave it to us. And then someone else that month just wrote, you know, totally unsolicited, wrote a thousand dollar check to us personally to help us. You know, so our bills were paid that month, and it was it was just stuff like that. Um, one step at a time, all the way through. And uh, I think what I learned with this is like where I have been learning and still am learning as we as we continue to walk in faith is like it's not comfortable. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. Even though I've seen this happen again and again, sometimes I'm still like, okay, I don't know where it's coming from. This is you know not great. Um, so where's my buffers? <laughs> you know, but uh, but I feel like God has um, helped us grow in in leaning into Him for that and just uh, trusting him for what we need. And so uh, we're taking these life-giving risks. You know, these, we bring these kids on the boat who don't know how to swim, and they're, they're, like, terrified of the water. They're terrified of going on a sailboat. They've never been out there. Some of them have never even seen the lake. Um, but 
you know, I'm comfortable on the boat, right? But what I'm uncomfortable is bearing all this responsibility of kind of running this thing and kind of the liability of all that's involved with it. Uh, but I feel like God is, God is calling us forward step by step. So, um, and that's interesting because I grew up wanting to be an explorer. I was just fascinated with these books of people. I, I can probably actually read today because my mom connected me with books about people who sailed off into uncharted waters and explored and found, you know, found things. Um, and then... Uh, and I was really disappointed when I found out that satellites already knew where everything was, and I couldn't discover any land. So I was like, this is terrible. Like, not even a small piece of land out there somewhere that I can find. You know, so um, Aaron, Aaron's got an adventure streak, too, and she took a class in missions in her senior year of college. She told God, I want to be on an adventure with you, whatever it is. And I don't want to just pursue my own plans. She was actually very career-oriented. She actually had a plan, unlike me, about what's after college. Um, and then she said, you know, I don't want to settle for the things that I can make happen on my own. Um, and then someday she says, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that because now God is, like, doing this crazy stuff. So, um, so, but it's, ex- it's exciting. It's exciting to be exploring with God, going into, you know, these uncharted territories. And it just it looks different than what I had imagined, but... Um, but it's great, and we're learning to kind of expect that there's probably unexpected things ahead, and we don't know what those are, and we'll just stick with him in that. So, you know, so we're thankful for that. We're really thankful for, you know, this church body and the family that we have here and our, um, our biological family that's been encouraging along the way and just the way that people have helped out in so many different ways and kind of given us, whether it's prophetic words or advice or um, just encouragement at the right moments. It's definitely been you know, we get to kind of tell the story, but this has been a community effort. It's not, it's far from being just us. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And if, if God, you know, is kind of stirring you to, you know, about this story, we'd love to talk more. Um, we can talk either afterwards or if you can sign up through the loop, then we can set up a meeting or something. But it's just been, it's been an amazing journey and it's been amazing to see um, what God is doing. And it's, it's still uncomfortable. It's still scary sometimes, but um, I think that's just, a part of it. So thanks. It's great, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Buff- thanks, Dave. Buffers for the buffers. Yeah. I-, I love I love that when when we share testimony in family, it's not coming up presenting a polished product that you know that that, that Dave and Aaron aren't standing in faith for anymore. No, they're saying God has done this. We're pressing him for more. Wow, it's not, it's uncomfortable. We just heard an amazing testimony where someone said, "Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Faith is it, it's it still um, stretches us." And uh, so, just thanks, Dave, so much, and thanks to Aaron and the kids as well for releasing you to share. You guys got one more in you? I know you do. All right, I want to invite Chris and Abby, Chris and Abby Schneider, to come up. Another awesome couple. Their kids, uh, CJ and Jacob, are downstairs, and uh, I, we, our family were actually hanging out um, about a couple months ago, and Chris was telling me this amazing story about his job. I'm not going to give anything away, and so when we, were, when we were planning this Sunday, I reached out to these guys and, and I said, you've got to share it, and they agreed. So uh, please, take it away. Thanks. So... Um I've been, <laughs> you can stand next to me. <laughs> I have been um, having a really difficult time at my job for a number of years. It's just been a very difficult situation. And um, something, a number of things changed um, this summer that um, 
and really feel like God had intervened in a way that has only happened a couple times in my life. Um, so I've had this difficult job, and I've been searching for a job for a couple, you know, almost two years, really actively searching for over a year. And um, so things started to change. So first off, a place that I had interviewed at before, I was able to get in contact with someone over there, and over a year later come back for another round of interviews. And this was a place I really um, was very interested in working at. Um, then it was the weekend that James preached on uh, Exodus 3, where at the end of it, the Israelites, you know, are coming out of slavery, but they get all sorts of gifts to take with them on the way out. It's like, you know, you, you work for free for a long time, but you're going to get it back on the way out. Now, we'd actually missed Sunday, so we didn't hear him say that, but because we missed, I was listening to a podcast of a sermon at the Causeway Coast Vineyard the next day, which had the story of Esther, Esther um, which, in which there's a man named Mordecai who has a great job advising the king, but it gets kind of unjustly taken away from him and ruined for him, but God restores him back. And in that sermon, the, you know, the speaker also brought up Exodus 3. And when he did, um, it really struck me and I really felt like it was for me. So that was on Monday I listened to that sermon. And then on Tuesday, I got let go from my job with severance, but got a new job at the new place within 20 minutes. Um, which was... Amazing. Um, and they did not know this, but that job was also at 600 West Chicago. <laughs> and that's it, so. <laughs> and so now I'm at a new job, which I'm extremely grateful for. You guys. <laughs> I needed that. I needed that. Guys, thank you so much. So, um, update your resumes. Send them to 600 West Chicago. Listen, really quick. I, I know we're going a couple minutes, a couple minutes longer, but if you, it, it may, might be a touch stretching. But if you're trusting for a job, would you stand? Something in your job, something in the area of jobs for jobs to be provided, if you freelance or if there is a job change that's needed or, or you don't need a job change but something within your job, if it re- revolves around a job, would you just stand? I just have a sense, uh, I really, really felt, uh, just as Chris was sharing, that, that the, Lord, the Lord has not gone blind to, to, your, to your situation, for lack of a better way. It feels like a kerplunk way of saying it. The Lord has not gone blind to you. The Lord is not left. Can I just pray for you guys? Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name for an outpouring of your favor, for an outpouring of your blessing. Lord, the the kind of blessing that is let go 20 minutes later, hired. Lord, we we just ask for a 600 West Chicago blessing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I just, I just pray right now that you would remind hearts, that you would remind hearts that you have not left them. You would remind hearts that you have not left them, Lord. 
and that they can trust and lean on your goodness and your presence with them. That the Lord, the Lord is near to you. The Lord is near to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite Nancy to, uh, to come up. She's going to play for us in, in just a moment. We're going, to, we're going to share in taking communion as an act of celebration together. But can I just say one last thing before we do that? To have, to have a testimony, or to, big, small, deep, wide, whatever, however you may judge it, to have a testimony and it not be shared impoverishes the body. We're impoverished without hearing what, what is shared today. We're impoverished w- w- without hearing it. My faith is stirred in hearing what Stephen and Michelle and Chris and Abby and Dave and Bree have shared today. And I also know that we're littered with testimonies. So can I invite us to do something? Can I invite us to be aggressive testimony sharers? And I want to say this. I have, the, I have the privilege of sort of coordinating what happens on a Sunday morning. And let me look you in the eye and say, if you've got a testimony, we will make room for your testimony. We will make a testimony happen. In fact, <laughs> if you've got a testimony, whether it needs to just be written, whether you want to record it, whether you want to put it in pages on your Mac and send it to me, whether, it, whether we want to share it on a Sunday, any testimony, would you just email me, testimony at churchinthecity.us. Let's just get it shared. Let's get it shared. And you know what? If it's sensitive or needs to be worked through, we'll work through it and we'll share it in the best way. The point is not bringing glory to us. The point is not, you know, sort of a daytime talk show like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, results not typical. The point is that the body is edified. The point is that faith is stirred. And most importantly, the point is that faith, Fame is given to the name of Jesus.